Welcome to F1 Reviews, a podcast where we rate and review each race in the F1 calendar. I am Doug Austin, along with my partner, Chris Costas. Week two, second race. Same as the first. Well, at least in the same place, right? Right. Same course. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, um, yeah, this was the second race at the Red Bull Ring, but it was the Styrian Grand Prix as opposed to the Austrian Grand Prix, because they can't use the same name twice, right? Exactly. Um, you know, in the past, we've seen that where they use the uh, the European Grand Prix for a stand-in, for example, when you have two races in Germany. But I guess right. since you have two races at the same track in the same country, you had to go the other direction. Um, right. And for anyone who's not familiar with this, um, I did a little research, and I looked up uh, Styria is actually... Um, basically like a state within Austria. Um, okay. Yes, and some fun facts about it. It is home to more than 150 clean technology companies. Um, that pr- represents 8% of their GRP. Amazing, I know. Um, nice, nice. Also, it is uh, the hometown of uh, Jochen Rint, uh, Formula One driver, Dr. Yeah. Helmut Marco, which I think makes <laughs> a lot of sense that it's the red bull ring and he's in charge of red bull um right. as well as arnold schwarzenegger i did not know arnie was from there as well it, nice. it's an amazing place it, it's it's yeah it's surprising what five minutes on wikipedia what you can learn from that um <laughs> of course i did research all my sources you know never right. be too careful on the internet these days um <laughs> but uh speaking of uh, f1 legends um, I actually had the distinct privilege to uh, spend some time talking Formula One with none other than his legendariness, David Hobbs. Um, he was really? at, he was at the uh, Road America IndyCar race, um, actually driving an Indianapolis pace car for a field of vintage IndyCars, which was absolutely like really cool to see. Um, That's amazing. Yeah, they had uh, Emerson Fittipaldi's uh, March chassis from 1986 they had uh numerous cars from like the 30s and 40s which were just terrifying to see in action um and <laughs> i can only uh, imagine probably, driving something like that even now when you're driving it carefully to try to preserve it you know right yeah that it, it should be noted that none of these cars were being driven in any real anger and in fact a right. lot of the drivers were just as old if not older than most of these cars so you know, it, it, but at the same time, it was amazing to see and hear what these cars actually sounded like when they're on track. Um, you know, you can read about them, you can look at all the pictures of them, but when you see them on track and hear what those engines sound like, it's amazing. Um, right, right. Uh, probably most interesting of all, uh, I thought was the, uh, the Lotus 56, which is uh, probably a car less known in Formula One circles and more in indie circles. That okay. it was a uh, it was a, a John Chapman or a, a Colin Chapman creation. Excuse me, there, um, a yeah. Colin Chapman creation that uh, was actually a four wheel drive machine. Uh, very cool because all four tires were the same size, but oh. instead of being powered by a conventional, uh, you know, inline four V twelve V eight whatever, it was powered by a turbine engine. So hearing this thing come up the front straight, it sounded like. Um, it sounded like a plane taking off. It, it was wild. <laughs> it was really wild. Um, That's craziness. 
But I got, you know, the opportunity to speak with David Hobbs for a few minutes. Extremely nice guy. Always glad to talk racing with uh, with fans. And uh, so, you know, what do you say to an, a, a legend when you meet them? Right, Other than, right. do you happen to catch qualifying this morning? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, due to uh, all the rain in the morning, um, and they had to keep pushing qualifying farther and farther back, you know, he uh, the the broadcast cut off after Q1, so he was upset that he didn't get to see anything after that. Oh um, no! But what a qualifying it was! Um, I don't know if uh, we we want to just run right through the order because that really doesn't. I don't think that comes close to telling the whole story. It doesn't do justice, no, because because everything just yeah, like you were saying, the weather that you know push the push the start of Q1 back and. It was really interesting because normally most teams will do like, you know, two or three laps and everybody just went out and they just kept pounding laps and pounding laps and all three qualifying sessions. It was really, I've never seen, I mean, I shouldn't say I've never seen anything like that before, but it was pretty unique, especially in the, in the current era of qualifying. I would say it's, it was one of the most exciting qualifying, uh, I've ever seen, um, yeah, I, I, you know, I regret to say that there's been a few qualifyings where I'll basically, you know, you figure, okay, well, the Haas and the Williams are going to be out Q3. Then these guys, uh, you know, midfield, they're going to be out Q2. Let's just see, yeah. who, you know, gets in, in uh, the final round. Um, right. And so, you know, you don't really only watch the last two minutes, but this the whole way through, you had no idea what was going to happen because the rain yeah. kept getting heavier. It would lighten up. Um, you know, some people, you know, it, at first it looked like, the only way to really even make it to the next round of qualifying was just to not spin. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, uh, you know, unfortunately people were able to do that. And at the same time, you saw some, you know, some names that I would never would have guessed popping up at the top of the sheets in qualifying. Um, yeah. I, I'm pretty sure I may have exclaimed, you know, I may have screamed when I saw George Russell fastest of everyone in qualifying. <laughs> Right, right, and not just because he was the first one out either. Right, he he, he wasn't Cause, cause actually. Usually they're the first ones out, and that and that time like everybody was just like, I, th- I think it was what the um who who was waiting to go out first. I think it was the Red Bulls that were like they were lined up like with like two minutes actually, before the session started. I be- and maybe it was a different uh, session, but I know Vettel was the first one on track. So yeah. everybody else behind him that was lined up. Um, I think it was uh, Nick Latifi, maybe, that he was trying to leave his pit box, but there were so many cars lined up that he couldn't leave. <laughs> and he just had to <laughs> sit there really and funny. let everyone go by. But, uh, but yeah, Vettel was the only one who got a track without, you know, a cloud to drive through. <laughs> right. So it, it was pretty wild. Yeah. And um, But I think it has to be said that no matter who made it to the top of the timesheets, because it was always a surprise who that was going to be, you know, um, right. I think at some point we saw uh, Perez up at the top of the timesheets. We saw for, we saw for Stappen, but no matter yeah. who got to the top along came Lewis Hamilton and just destroyed whatever time was up there. Right. It, it right, didn't right. matter. And by the end of qualifying, he had a, almost a second and a quarter over Verstappen. Yeah. Utterly dominant. Right, right, right. That's and and that's you know, it's funny. That's that's just kind of par for the course for Lewis for the most part. Right. He's you know he's he's been absolutely dominant his whole career, and I think, um, you know, to see a performance like that, it's 
I think a lot of people take it for granted when, you know, maybe you start on pole, you get the fastest lap, and then you win. People would say it's a boring race and that you just went the fastest, right? But right when it comes to something like that, qualifying in not just the wet, but the pouring rain, because that was, um, you know, that was a deluge. <laughs> that was a lot of water on the track. Um, and I'm right. surprised people even kept it on the surf, you know, on the surface. And there was a lot of question to where, whether or not they were even going to be able to do it because they canceled FP3. Right. And they would have had to go and, and they were talking about going off of the uh, uh, FP2 times, which would have put Verstappen on pole. It would have put Lewis in sixth. Wow. <laughs> I just I just pulled up the uh, um, the FP2 times on here. Yeah, okay. that would have been 16th. Uh, um, Raikkonen would have been 13th. I mean, uh, uh, Ricardo would have been starting in the back. Like that, that, that just would have been ri- ridiculous. Right. Um, and I mean, good on F1 that, you know, they were still able to go through with a fairly normal, um, you know, e- even though we did a double header, it was on two separate weekends with, you know, practice on a Friday, qualifying on Saturday and the race on Sunday. Um, right. You know, as I said, you know, we were at the IndyCar race where they did, practice qualifying and race saturday another practice qualifying and race uh today on sunday and uh and so you could actually see where drivers you know they just hadn't physically you know or mentally recuperated from the race before um right it takes a lot out of you over the whole weekend but then to jam that down one day and then expect you to do the same thing the next um, you know, I, I think it's a, a, mu- a better system that Formula One had where we just said, we'll do it uh, one weekend, you know, and then the next weekend we'll, we'll do it all again and spread it right, out over right. a weekend. Yeah. So it's, it's still it's nice because it's, it's still a normal weekend. They're just putting them more like, you know, creating more back to back to backs. Right. Exactly. And I think at the same time, as long as it's a decent track. You know, I, I could watch multiple races from the same track, you know, one week to the next. Right, right, right. As, as long as I don't have to sit through France four weeks in a row, I'm fine. And even then, like, you know, when they, when they go when they go to Silverstone, Silverstone's got an alternate layout, too, that they could that they could potentially want. I don't think they're going to, but that's another possibility that really probably should have been explored more. But, you know, I think uh, overall, this was a, a good plan for um you know, not really having one to begin with. So, right. Right. Um, so yeah, to go, uh, if we go through the order for, uh, qualifying, uh, starting at the back, um, of course my favorite Roman Grosjean, uh, was not <laughs> able to set a time and, uh, was, yeah. apparently they were working on his car right up to, uh, when the race started and had him start from the pit lane. Um, right. Antonio Giovinazzi, um, just behind Nicholas Latifi, uh, Sergio mm-hmm. Perez and uh, Kimi Raikkonen. Um, I thought that was kind of strange that uh, Sergio Perez had uh, such a difficult time making out of, out of Q1. Um, right. As dominant as that, uh, you know, pink Mercedes is, and we'll get to this later. Um, yeah. <laughs> it was uh, it, it was kind of surprising seeing that he was having so much difficulty uh, when his teammate Lance Stroll um, ended up making it to Q2. Um, right, right. Especially, yeah, cons- and just looking at the time, the, you know, just looking at the Q one times, uh, over uh, you're almost a second faster. Yeah. Um, again, it, it's. I think it's probably misleading to look at the times. 
Um, well, because yeah. when you when you're in constantly changing conditions, especially like with rain like this, right? Um, there's no apples to apples. This is. You know, apple to orange to watermelon to grapes to banana to, (laughs) (laughs) and uh, yeah. So I'm I'm sure it was just get out there, give it the best you can, and you know what? Right. What happens happens. Yeah, because there was a there was at least you know two or three times where Perez was you know at the top of the timesheet. Right. I I mean I I'm sure I can you know we can argue this all day, but um, I I believe Sergio Perez is kind of considered the number one driver at racing point um yeah oh for sure you know i mean i'm sure he pays a good amount of money to be there he's raced at a bunch of different teams and the reason he's still in formula one for this long is based on merit um Mm -hmm. so again it's surprising to see him uh qualify towards the back right right so q2 we saw uh kevin magnuson uh do reasonably well with the Haas, uh, Daniel yeah. Kvyat, Lance Stroll, and uh, George Russell qualifying 12th. Yeah, just the fact that he, that he got out of Q1 was 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 pretty remarkable. He was pumped, too, you could tell. Oh, absolutely. I think, um, especially after last year, the bar for Williams right now is really set just so low that to see them, you know, have any f- sort of success at all is absolutely amazing it it gets yeah, yeah. it gets me very excited especially seeing george russell because we know how good he is um right you know we like during the uh, during the lockdown um you know all the e all the esports races that he won in that time yeah um, yeah he excellent. won the esports f1 championship I, exactly yes <laughs> um but yeah he, he's uh obviously a great driver it's just williams has a tough time providing him with a good enough car Right, right. Um, so yeah, seeing him get into twelfth, you know, again, rain the great equalizer, and you see right. where some of these drivers sort themselves out. So with George Russell ending up twelfth, you know, and maybe Perez, uh, starting seventeenth, what does that say? That's debatable, I'm sure. Right, right, right. And then for the second week in a row, a Ferrari is knocked out of Q two. Uh, again, it's. You know, I, I've, just how Williams has such a low bar to clear, Ferrari has, you know, over decades set that bar so high. And I think the amount of pressure it takes to try and reach those heights is just completely unrealistic. But yet they're still being pushed, put under that pressure to be there. And, right, uh, right. you know, Charles Leclerc getting uh, knocked down to 11th. And uh, and Vettel ending up tenth, so yeah, it was it was good. He squeezed into Q three, but you know that still you've got uh, let's see Daniel Ricardo, Pierre Gasly, Alexander Albon, Lando Norris, Esteban Ocon, a lot of these names. You know, this is only maybe their first, second, third year in F one, uh, whereas right. Vettel is a multiple champion in a Ferrari. Right, right. But they were talking about again this week that he just he 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 keeps saying that the car is not is is undrivable and Leclerc saying the same thing. So there's there's a, there's some issues with the the car development this year. They just they just couldn't get it together. Right. It's uh it, it's a it's a sad story. Um, unfortunately, um, during the race por- portion of this, I think it's going to get much sadder. Um, yeah. Yeah. 
But again, you know, that, that was still great to see some of the, the newer faces. Uh, Pierre Gasly, after the horrible time at Red Bull, he had, I mean, still eighth in an Alpha Tauri. Um, right, Alexander right. Albon setting a good time. Lando Norris continuing to impress uh, with six. Yeah, yeah, he's re- he's really stepping up this year. Like he spent last year, you know, l- you know, hanging back and learning, and this year he's really going for it. I- I- I'm really I'm really proud of him. Absolutely. Then next, uh, Esteban Ocon on his return to Formula One. Um, yeah. You know, in fifth, and then uh, some of the more usual suspects, uh, Valtteri Bottas, starting fourth, third. Yeah. An excellent performance from Carlos Sainz. Oh, of course, yeah. And uh, Verstappen in second, and of course, Lewis Hamilton, the master. Yeah, um, <laughs> knocking him down with one point two seconds from first to second. I, I was, and I was honestly really surprised that um, that Lewis was able to pull that timeout, uh, considering Verstappen is is the rain man. He's the rain master. Right, and I think that's. Uh, I'm starting to think that that's becoming a, co- a more common nickname than uh, people want to admit. Because, I mean, yeah. to get to Formula One, you have to be an excellent driver. You know, you just you right. just have to. And so, um, you know, obviously Lewis was crazy fast in the rain. Um, Max Verstappen has shown his excellence in the rain. Um, right. And this, you know, and then we got to see George Russell do a great job with a very underperforming car. Right, so, right. You know, great news yeah, all that around. Was, that was a, such a great qualifying session. Right. It was, um, and again, a qualifying session that you could watch. From, if, if you watched just the last two minutes of qualifying, you missed a lot. <laughs> right, right. Absolutely worth watching. Even as they were lining up, you had to be watching then. But that brings us uh, to the race. Yeah. So Norris gets penalized three uh, grid, grid spots uh, uh, for overtaking unnecessarily under uh, uh, yellow flags uh, that was during FP1. So that ends up punting him down to ninth. And then uh, I believe there was one other penalty, correct? Leclerc was uh, uh, penalized three places for impending Kvyat, or, uh, impeding Kvyat. And then Giovinazzi was penalized five places for uh, gearbox change. Ah, okay. To start the race. Um, again, much, much uh, better weather for the race than uh, qualifying um and uh you know there's no delaying it anymore i think we just got to talk about ferrari well yeah because it it happens right in lap one it happens i believe the second or third turn yeah Um, yeah yeah so you know yeah leclerc tries to go up the inside of vettel and you know hits the curb jumps it a little bit uh, 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 knocks Vettel's rear wing off, uh, uh, and then Vettel retires immediately. Leclerc comes out for a couple more laps on the hard tire to try to recover a little bit, and he just can't because he's got too much floor damage. Comes in, retires. Yeah, it's it's a, a tough way for Ferrari to start. Um, right. In watching the replay, I mean, I, I I can see where Leclerc was coming from and what he was trying to do, but yeah. um. You know, he he issued a statement actually uh, later today um, that said that you know really Ferrari is in a bad way and we just need points at this point. Right. And to go for a move like that on lap one was just a little over ambitious. We'll say that. 
Yeah, it, like I, I heard his interview even during the race, and he uh, uh, the first thing he said is that he went right up to uh, uh, to Seb and apologized to him because. Uh, um, and I, I've even heard uh, Brundle say this on the broadcast, like in, in previous broadcasts, you can't win the race on lap one, but you can certainly lose it. Absolutely. That's a very good way to put it. Um, I mean, I know I've seen, there's been plenty of examples where you can see drivers and if they make contact just right, you know, the side of the wheel to the side of the wheel, it, you know, it'll kind of bump the guys away. And if you get it just right, you can get away with no damage. Right. But that's still, you know, I, I don't think that that's a feasible thing to try and do. Uh, yeah. You know, the second turn of the race. Um, well, and, and especially not when there's not that much traffic around you. And that, that and the fact that that's, a you know, the, the mirrors in F1 cars are terrible enough as it is. You can't really, they don't really do much where you can really see very much of what's happening. So Seb had no idea that, 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 charles was even there until he hit him right yeah there was nothing seb could have been expected to do in fact right from my perspective it looked like leclerc was slowed down enough to make the corner and then almost like lifted up on the brake just to sneak into that last little spot there not thinking of what would be the exit strategy there um right yeah, because the first re- the first replay I saw of it, I thought uh, um, Charles locked up and there was nothing he could do. Uh, um, and then, yeah, you're right. When you know further replays that I saw, it was it, it, at the last second he decided, you know what, I'm just going to go for this, and well, the rest is history. Right. Definitely took uh, Vettel's wing off. Um, what honestly, what kind of gave me a little chuckle is watching the the Ferrari mechanics run out to the pit lane. And they've got the front nose cone. Yeah. It, it, it's the one at the back. I don't think you can change that that quick, man. <laughs> right. I, mean, I, I don't know that I've, that I've seen it on, on these current versions of cars. I've seen rear wing changes before. Right. Um, but they're, they're mu- they must have gotten back there and saw that there was just way too much other uh, uh, damage that, you know, that they, that they, they just couldn't do anything about. Yeah. I mean, and Leclerc was in the air and came down on Seb's uh, rear wheel and the whole, you know, kind of shelf of the floor at the backside of the car, that was all busted up. And there was no way that you were going to be able to run any kind of competitive race. I mean, again, if they were looking for points, you know, you could have struggled all race long with that car. And I don't think you'd end up in the top 10. No, he, 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 I honestly, I think he would have been behind the Williamses even if, if anything, um, it probably was a good idea just to, just to retire the car, to have a meeting at Ferrari and just go, look, what is going on? Right. <laughs> Cause right. that, that was just way too, that was too much. Yeah. Um, so unfortunately, uh, a rough start to the race for Ferrari fans. Um, but still uh a a lot of good moves um that kind of opened up the field for uh i know i saw a lot from lando norris and carlos signs uh dicing it up with some of the bigger teams i know max verstappen had to fight pretty hard actually with uh, i believe it was carlos signs um towards the beginning of the race um before kind of settling into second uh behind hamilton right and then and then at that point it just became a parade for a little while it kind of did. I, I hate to 
to say that that um, you know compared to the race we had last week, right? Um, things settled down. You know, um, yeah. You you take out some of the more competitive wild cards, and everyone kind of settles in. It's nice weather, and uh, mm-hmm. the, the the predicted strategy from the the TV broadcast was that whether you're on the soft or the medium tires, about lap I believe it was twenty five or thirty or so, you'd go to the uh, the hard tire and run that till the end. Right. And I kind of saw that and, th- and thought, well, this is. Hopefully something happens because otherwise right. it's going to be kind of a snoozer, unfortunately. Well, that was and the interesting thing is like most most teams ended up going to the medium and running that out uh, um, uh, for the rest of it. What I found really strange is that the both Alpha Tauri's uh, ended up going from the soft tire to the hard tire while every other team was on the medium. And then I, I think Gasly was on the hard for like 15 laps before he came in and went back to the soft tire. Right. Yeah, I, I thought that was... I know when uh, Verstappen pitted that he went to the medium. I thought that was pretty ambitious that he was going to try and, you know, maybe he would be the only one on the medium and would be able to catch the Mercedes that way. But right. Mercedes also went to a medium. So... Right. Didn't really get him anywhere. And uh, unfortunately, towards the end of the race, uh, Botas was, you know, starting to come down on Verstappen, they were both on the same tires other than Botas is being a little bit fresher. Yeah. Well, a lot of, a lot of why Botas was able to catch him is, was that front wing damage that he picked up that uh, Verstappen picked up. Cause at, at a certain point, Botas got, you know, you know, within about seven seconds and then he was within about five seconds and then he wasn't making up really any ground uh, to the point where they told they told Botas over the radio that you he was gonna not catch him until the last lap, which you know you're not overtaking uh, uh, Max Verstappen in one lap. You need a few laps to you know even get close, right? And sure enough, that ended up being the case where it took him some really hard fighting to get around Verstappen. Um, right, right, that was probably some of the best racing the whole race long. Um, was right, just right. Max just, you know, uh, I felt a little bad for Max through that because there was really nothing he could do, but he put up the best fight, you know, the best defense yeah. against giving that place up and he made Botas really work for it. Right, right. Yeah, that was, that was, that was pretty impressive, especially with, with that, that damage on, on the front wing, which they didn't, they never showed how he got that damage. That's true. Um, as far as I mean, from my view, it it looked like a piece of cloth was stuck to the car. It didn't really uh, look okay. like damage. Maybe I mean maybe it was the carbon fiber had torn off and it, you know kind of become cloth again. Right. I mean, could could you tell what that was at all? No. It. Uh, um. What they kept what the uh, they kept saying on the broadcast is it looked like he picked up a piece of debris that just that you know cut off the one of the end the the right side end plate. Ah. I mean, you know, whatever it was, it it didn't seem like it slowed him down that much, but it certainly didn't help, especially with it was uh, it was just it was just enough to give Botas enough of an edge to to, to catch up a little bit quicker. Right. And I mean, I I think that Mercedes, anyone would agree, is the more dominant car and that if Botas really wants to get by you, it's going to happen. Right, right, right. So um, unfortunate for uh, Verstappen, but. 
you know, again, that was some uh, it was some good racing. Um, oh yeah, for sure. From from my again, this is just me, you know, watching from my couch and making all the judgments that, you know, <laughs> <laughs> you know, in in my on my high horse. I like to think that because Verstappen, obviously, I, th- I think he had an edge on Ver- on Botas through the uh, like sector two and sector three of the track where right. the corners are a little tighter and there's not the the long DRS straights. Um, yeah, what I feel like Verstappen maybe should have done is e- even kind of concede to Botas just before that DRS detection zone, so at least. Uh, Verstappen would have DRS on his side and maybe he could have hung with him for a few more laps and, ed- you know, maybe edged out and gotten that second place. Right. But right. shoulda, coulda, woulda, who knows if that would have actually been the case. Right, right, right. I think he basically, he wanted to be ahead right then and there and there, you know, there, there wasn't like a, a continuous strategy that he was working on. It was just I'm desperate. There's, you know, this Mercedes coming down on me and there's nothing really I can do. I'm just going to fight it to the death, you know, which was probably important for Botas to realize. I'm not sure if he did or not, but I mean, he's currently the championship leader. I mean, we're only two races (laughs) in, but he's still leading the championship. And I think to get a DNF from potentially tangling with Verstappen, who at least at this point in the championship doesn't nearly have nearly as much to lose. Um, exactly. You know, I, I think Botas w- would have been better off sort of being a little more cautious and even just let Max have that second, if they were going to fight that hard for it. Right, right, right. So speaking, speaking of the closing moments of the race. So yeah, so the race was pretty much a, a procession right up until uh, um, that, that Botas and, and uh, Verstappen battle. And then like, you, you can sense something was going to happen because uh, 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 per, so Perez gets by Ricardo and then Lance Stroll is kind of, you know, hanging on, you know, getting the DRS and coming up on it. And then we got two laps to go and Lando is kind of creeping up on the both of them. Yeah. Um, and yeah, they're all just long. ahead of Lewis. Yeah, all race long. The, ra- the racing points victory. have just been looking dominant the entire way through and of course there's more to talk about with uh, racing point and uh some of the speed they had these past two weeks right but as the race kind of winds down that's that seems where uh where lando's still got plenty in the tank where you know whereas everyone else is kind of you know feeling the distance of the race right um, right so yeah like you said uh perez is uh catching albon um mm-hmm. and uh and we we almost saw a, a uh a replay of last weekend same corner oh, yeah. bumps Albin in the rear but this time it's uh Perez's front wing that uh, that breaks and so yeah. he's kind of a sitting duck out there and it almost looked like cuz you didn't really see the move uh, um you didn't really see very much of the move live during the race but they showed the replay of it it literally looked like Perez was trying to push Albon into a spin I mean um and, and I'm sure I'll get some disagreement here but um considering when Perez and Ocon were teammates I know they came uh in contact several times and I know neither one of those drivers is afraid of pushing the other one around. So it wouldn't right. surprise me that 
you know, Perez was going to do what he had to do to uh, to get by Albon, even if that included a little contact. Yeah, and I, I wouldn't have been surprised. Let's say if Perez's front wing get, uh, doesn't get damaged, I would not have been surprised if uh, um, he would have gotten a, a penalty for something like that because he was keeping Albon off the track. Right. Um, and, and even with a penalty, I mean, we saw what happened last weekend. Um, Hamilton right. got a five-second five penalty. And right. for... You know, for Hamilton, that's pretty significant because he's looking for a race win every weekend. For Sergio Perez to get five seconds, um, I mean, even with the damage he got here, um, an extra five seconds, um, that, I mean, he still would have been top ten. You know, Carlos uh, Sainz and uh, Kvyat were both a lap down at this point. So, you know, he easily could have taken home eighth behind uh, Ricardo. So... Well, and the, I think the only reason science uh, uh, is a lap down is because he pitted for soft, so he'd go for the fastest lap, which is which he ended up getting. Right. Um, another uh, interesting tidbit that is actually the new fastest race lap record uh, that yeah, Carlos Sainz yeah. is able to do. That's a, a one hundred five six one eight or six one nine. Yes, a one hundred five six one nine for the fastest yeah. race lap around the Red Bull Ring regardless of Austrian or Styrian Grand Prix. <laughs> which is, which is, which, which is, is, is saying a lot about, uh, um, uh, 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 McLaren. Right. Um, that, you know, really if McLaren is in the right place at the right time and they need to push, they'll make some amazing things happen. Right. It's going to be really interesting to see them next year with the, uh, with the Mercedes power unit. That, that'll be, uh, <laughs> that'll be pretty cool. I'm, I'm really looking right. forward to seeing that, especially, uh, the matchup of uh, Lando Norris and uh, Daniel Ricardo. Um, yeah, that's that's gonna be really fun to watch next year. In, in fact, um, this might be a bit off topic, but um, Doug, are you familiar with a YouTube series that McLaren made in, uh, I believe, the early 2010s called Tune? Oh, Tune! Yes, you yes. saw Tune. Those are so good. If there was ever a time to bring that series back, could you imagine? Uh, having tuned with Lando Norris and Daniel Ricardo as, as the <laughs> I was two thinking about characters. that with, with even just Lando and Carlos, but yeah, with, with, da- with Ricardo, this would be, this will be even better. That would be even better. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, um, I, I, I would love for them to bring that back, um, and start doing that. Um, and the very off chance that anyone from McLaren is listening to this podcast, you know, t- tell tell your manager, tell your manager's manager, tell the janitor if you got it. Like, bring back Tuned. <laughs> we would love to see that. Oh, that was such a great show. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> and then, uh, but yeah, absolutely. Uh, at the end of the race, Lando Norris. Um, I uh, I recently rewatched the uh, the last two laps of the Austrian Grand Prix, where Lando Norris has to just throw down. Uh, the fastest laps he can with the help of his engineer telling him when to, you know, really when to push the power um, and right. ends up getting uh, ahead of Lewis Hamilton due to his penalty. Um, the last yeah. two laps for Lando in this race, however, not only is he just pushing as hard as he can, but he's getting around anyone he can. And when he comes around that, you know, the last corner and Perez as, you know, you can't do anything about it, really. 
<laughs> right. And, and uh, oh, I, I was jumping up that second week in a row. I was jumping up and down uh, uh, out of my seat for, for, for Lando. My dogs were scared. <laughs> yeah I, um um yeah so so you've watched f1 with your dogs in the room um yeah i've watched f1 at my house with my cat and scared him several times i've also <laughs> been at my girlfriend's house a, a few times and scared her cat um <laughs> just just from our reactions to, to different racing things um, right. i actually got a pretty pretty good swipe from her cat actually that that occurred oh, when uh remember when Ocon bumped uh Verstappen at the Brazilian Grand Prix yeah yeah I, a couple I, years I, ago yeah I, I damn near fell off the couch the the cat <laughs> freaked out and just clawed me and ran away right um but yeah again um you know tragic beginning to the race with the Ferraris getting knocked out but an amazing uh, last what uh, two, three, four, five laps, depending on yeah, uh, you know yeah. when you consider Botas was inside of uh, Verstappen. Um, right. Well, that that that's what kicked it off. Yeah. The uh, the 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 Botas uh, uh, finally getting the overtake done, and then everything else just just kind of built up from there. Right. Um. So to uh, so when you consider all of this wrapped up, Doug, did you have a uh, a, a review score that you wanted to assign to this race? So I was thinking about that throughout the, throughout the entirety of the race. So, um, uh, you know, beginning of the race, the Ferraris get knocked out. Uh, um, so I was at about a negative five at that point. Um, no, uh, and then, you know, like I said, it turned into a, a bit, a bit of a procession for a while, pit stop strategy and stuff like that, which can be kind of fun. Pit stop strategy is, is admittedly kind of fun, but, you know, for the most part, I was I was hovering around a two to two and a half, and then the last five laps happened, and that helped me bump it up to about a, you know, close to a four. I would give it close to a four. You say like a three point seven five. Three point seven five. Yeah. I don't know how one how specific we want to get on this, but I think two decimal places is plenty. Um, right. <laughs> you know, my I think myself. Um, you know, seeing the Ferraris crash out, that was a bummer. Um, but I still think that the the amount of drama and interest that that held, especially for longtime fans of the sport, um, made it actually a bit more of an interesting race than uh, maybe one where they just kind of putted around in like fifth and sixth the whole race. Um, right, right. Like you said, most of the race was kind of a procession. Um you know, it, there, there wasn't too much going on, but those last laps, um, I think for anyone that stayed tuned to the, to the end, um, uh, you know, and was able to follow each driver's storyline the whole way, I think there was some payoff there. Um, right. You know, that being said, I, I didn't think it was necessarily a banger by any means. I think it was right. a good race, but. Um, I think if I were to, you know, say like you're introducing your friend to the sport and you want to show them a, an example of a great race that gets them into it, I think to, to say, well, the first lap's good and the last lap's good and the rest of it's. So for me, it was uh, it, it was a two and a half. Two and a half. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. That's so. 
Yeah, for, yeah. If, if if you're talking about somebody somebody just getting into the sport, yeah, the the, the pit stop strategy stuff isn't super exciting unless you're you know, a, a dedicated fan. I like to think of it as it's the thinking man's motorsport. Um, right. It's right. it's interesting once you are able to follow all twenty drivers and kind of keep track of where they all are in relation to each other in your head, and you see when you know, one of them goes off strategy or is trying something different and you compare that to every, you know, all the other 19 drivers, uh, it gets right. really interesting. And especially when a few people really start doing that and then some chaos gets thrown in, you see who that benefited, who that hurts, um, and then, you know, where it goes from there. But really with this one, it was just run the soft, run the medium, yeah, get, get to the end of the race. So mm -hmm. I wouldn't say there was a, a ton of strategy uh, involved with this one as well. So, right, you know, I'm pretty stuck on that two and a half. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, a lot of the strategy was more of like when to pit for the for the medium tires as opposed to which tires you're going to pit for. That's true. That's true. Um, I believe it was Botas that actually um, he stayed out quite a while. Right, right. And everyone was kind of curious what he was going to do because if he kept staying out that long, then it wasn't really worth, you know, running a medium. You probably could have run another soft, but of course the rules don't allow for that. But, um, you know, it. I, I was also kind of curious why people were choosing the medium instead of what everyone predicted would be the hard tire. Um, right. You know, they, what they probably were thinking uh, um, was – Hey, let's let's throw on the medium. See if we can get a little bit better pace than the other teams that are on the hard tires. And then if it comes down to it, we could switch back to the softs and have even better pace at the end and try to catch up. And everybody ended up going to the mediums, and they were like, "Okay, well, never mind." <laughs> right. And uh, I, I, this, because um, like I said, I, I watched a lot of racing this weekend. I may be confusing races here, but I believe <laughs> it was actually. Uh, slightly cooler this week than it was last week in Austria. Yeah. Yeah. And it definitely so was. You could probably get away with running a stickier tire and not have it degrade as quickly. Right. Um, you know, if well, they it's were, not they were talking hot. about that because when, um, Ocon retired, he was, uh, he retired with, uh, overheating issues and, you know, they're like, well, how, how can his car be overheating when it's significantly cooler than last week? Right. And I think, you know, really, regardless of what the ambient temperatures are, especially when you're dealing with, you know, a high performance engine like a Formula One right. engine. Um, I, I've got a project car out in the garage that, you know, it's just a little four banger in there and not even turbo. I just drive it around. And like even that, I'm trying to make sure that it stays at a proper temperature just when putting around my neighborhood. Um, right. But to imagine a Formula One car, you know, I think regardless of what the ambient temperatures are, those things are running at such limits, you know, such extremes of what the materials can handle that right. any defect in the workmanship or the design or engineering is going to expose mm -hmm. flaws like that. And it was really right. unfortunate to see, uh, you know, for last last weekend, uh, Renault uh, lost Daniel Ricardo to uh, engine failure. And then this yeah. weekend, it was a cooling failure on uh, on Ocon. Right, right. And, again, atop my, uh, in my ivory castle, <laughs> I, 
I th- I think when when you have a team and both of your and en- both of your drivers' engines are in- are expiring within a week of each other for some reason, why is the first thing you decide to do is to say, well, we think Racing Point may have broken some rules. Yeah. Yeah, I, I and I, I didn't even see that during the broadcast. I saw that you know I was I was just started reading all the articles after after uh, we were done watching the race and okay. <laughs> I mean you know I mean, F one has already said that you know what they did is was was perfectly legal. So you know, and same with uh, Red Bull getting on uh, Mercedes about the DAS system. You know, right. I don't know what well, there seemed to be more asking for clarification on it as opposed to saying, no, we don't want you running it. Right. Um, I mean, because they cited some specific rules. Right. And regardless, you know, basic ideas about how the cars are designed, um, you know, like the DAS or just copying last year's Mercedes, um, you know, I, I don't know what these teams do did during the lockdown period this year but right. I, i'm sure if there was really a problem if there was something fundamentally wrong with the other teams that could have been brought up months ago and i yeah. i personally don't understand why it's being thrown out now to drag down a team that's you know doing really great even if it's not the most creative approach no one you know yeah. no one said you can't the fia said it was fine yeah, yeah, they already clar- yeah, they already clarified that. So, uh from what I get from the discussion so far about this is that while you're allowed to buy other body parts or uh you know, various car parts from other teams, it has to be uh an actual licensed part from that team um and especially the chassis has to be built completely by the team using their own design. Right, right. From from what I get is, you know, Racing Point, yes, they copied the Mercedes, but they took pictures. And, you know, we all look at pictures of what the Mercedes looked like. We saw it every single right. week, uh, you know, on TV, watching Hamilton win. They took plenty yeah. of pictures of his car there. So if you can amass enough of those pictures, you know, like, like for example, there's a reason, uh, you know, there's a reason that IndyCars, Formula One cars... Uh, pro Mazda cars, any kind of open wheel car, why they look like that, because that's the fastest way to build a race car, you know, right, regardless exactly. of what that is. And so if we're just getting more and more detailed into we want to build the fastest Formula One car within these rules, let's just copy the car that did the best last year. Personally, <laughs> right, I don't see right. a problem with that. And I'm really surprised more teams haven't attempted to do something like that. And I'm sure a lot of them are. Um, you know, you remember a few years ago where they had those awful front front ends on the cars. Oh, yeah. Some that look, uh, we'll call them appendages. The, yeah, yeah, the stub nose. You know, everyone had to do their own design. And actually, Lotus came up with a very cool looking design, I think, that fit right. within the rules. And it was it was creative, but it wasn't as quick. And so they ended right. up, they went back to what everyone else was doing because that was the quickest way to do it. You know, we'll we'll throw that one out there. We'll see what uh, the FIA comes back with. Um, I don't think they're going to rule any much different than they already have. True. They might be able to, you know, get raising point on some kind of technicality. But, you know, I don't think that there was any kind of, you know, anything nefarious going on here. 
Right, right. We'll see what they come back with. Yeah. All right. Well, that wraps up another episode of F1 Review. Chris, thank you very much. Thank you, Doug. And thank you, everyone, for listening. We really appreciate it. All right. We'll see you all next week after the Hungarian Grand Prix.